Well, hello, kids, and welcome to episode number three of the Eager Beaver podcast, a podcast providing incisive commentary on Canadian politics and general culture. Today, recording day is Monday, May 10th, 2021, and it's a crisp evening as the sun prepares to set here at the Beaver Lodge. It was a good day for a walk, or in my case, a swim. I'm your host, the Eager Beaver, and I am tickled pink that you, my dearest kits, have welcomed us into your home and into your ears. Whether you listen to every show or just drop in now and then, all are welcome. Of course, a big thank you goes to our podcast's founding sponsors, The Peppermaster, The Miss V Mysteries from Corvid Moon Publishing, and CanadianTarot.com, who have all maintained their valuable support. Because it's always nice to have people who stand firmly in your corner. On today's episode, in the news, today kits, well, let's just say that if Lumière from Beauty and the Beast were guest hosting this segment, he'd say something like, Mesdames et Messieurs, for your listening pleasure, the Eager Beaver's Kitchen presents an embarrassment of hot, sticky messes. It's the news, it's the news, sit right down, we won't confuse. <laughs> oh. We'll have a cross-Canada COVID update, and it's not good. Then we'll give a glance at the guy named Vance who couldn't keep it in his pants. And we'll chat about some general douchebaggery and politicians behaving badly around Bill C-10. And your reaction to our first ever guest interview with Colin Hodgson was phenomenal. Thank you for that. So we decided to do it again. An interview, that is. But with a different person. Not Colin again, because that would be... Not that we wouldn't like to have Colin. <laughs> Mr. Grizzly, I think I need to stop digging here. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. This week's guest is a Canadian opinion writer who recently got at least 15 minutes of worldwide fame after four key words flowed from his pen. Doug Ford must resign. I won't say who it is right now, but if you've been following the news, you might have a good idea of what I'm talking about, if not who. The discussion we had was fascinating, and of course, as was the case last week, we'll have the extended version for you in the coming days. You'll love them. We did. And we'll finish the show with a shout out to our podcast's first champions, our first listener feedback, and a few, oh, shall we say, curious and lighter bits of news. So kids, keep your arms and feet in the right at all times, because here we go! So, before we go any further, it's time to welcome my co-host and all-around good guy, the bear, the voice, Mr. Grizzly. Hello, Mr. Grizzly. Hey, how you doing? I am doing very well today. How are you today? Um, well, mixed bag of goodies, what can you say? Uh, you can probably mm -hmm. hear it in my voice, the allergies are acting up as it is springtime in Canada, you know? I can definitely hear it. Mm. And how's your emotional and mental health today? Well, that's the other mixed bag of goodies. Um, I'm not, a, I'm not a hundred percent today. Uh, the isolation is beginning to get to me. It's the never ending, uh, go to work, you know, get up, go to work, come home, sit in my house all evening. I walk around the neighborhood and I go to get groceries and, um, Fridays I sit on my buddy's porch where there's just two of us three meters apart having a pint that that's the extent of my social life right now and it's it's mm -hmm. starting to weigh heavy on me uh, yeah know. i know and you how about but, yourself yeah i hear you that uh it's uh similar over here um everything i do is uh, pretty much from home so other than the hour a day i go take that walk around the block uh yeah after a while it's uh I'm uh, getting very anxious, uh, hopefully, that uh, around May 20th here in Ontario, where I am, that uh, the tennis courts open up again so that I can get out and, you know, just put a racket in my hand and make me run because I'm, <sighs> it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 it's getting to be a lot indeed. I, I have no argument there. Yeah. And the weather hasn't been cooperating at being a little cool and rainy and so it keeps us more inside. 
Yeah, I'm trying to stay positive about it. It's like, well, we need rain for the trees and the flowers yeah. and the tulips, but it's been so many days since we've had a nice sunny day. If, if it's rains three days, like I'd never, I'd never make it in Vancouver. I <laughs> wouldn't. Three days of rain and overcast, I'm, I'm, I'm getting squirrely, you know, yeah, yeah. which is a lot for day? a big grizzly bear like me. <laughs> How was your mother's day? Uh, it was it was uh, uh, unique. Uh, another uh, subdued uh, COVID uh, time, Mother's Day. It just it's not you know it's not the whole family wasn't able to get together. It's yeah, it's not the same. But uh, you know, I, I count myself lucky. Both my parents are still uh, alive and, and healthy, and uh, I get to see them uh, frequently. So I'm I'm lucky in that sense, you know. But it, it it'd be nice if we could have something that would you know, be described as, uh, the before times. I don't mm -hmm. want to go back to normal because let's face it. Normal was broken. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, we've normal noticed got all, us where we are. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, exactly. But, uh, a, a sense of normality in that we can, the things we used to take for granted, a hug, uh, mm -hmm. uh you know, a date, my God, dinner mm -hmm. with, uh, friends at, you know, a dinner party at somebody's house. Those things. And, and, and of course, yeah. you know, like I said, I, it's, I can see my mom and dad whenever I want because they're both vaccinated. And uh, when I go over, it's just me and them, which is wonderful. It's wonderful, but I just, I don't know. I need more. Yeah, I hear you. I know I'm going to be the perpetrator of a lot of awkwardly long hugs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're allowed to rub up against each other again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mother's Day is a little different for me. Uh, my mom passed away in 2005. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, for me, it's, uh, an opportunity to remember her, have good memories, share stories, uh, you know, a little bittersweet, of course, but, of course. uh, of course. you know, it, enough time has gone by, of course. Uh, so, uh, I'd like to give, uh, you know, happy mother's day to, uh, the departed mothers who live mm -hmm. on in our essence and a special shout out to, uh, mothers who have adopted, uh, mothers who foster and, uh, the mother, those, the motherless have adopted as their own. Right. There's yes. a lot of uh, people that have uh, moms that are, she's like a mom to me. <laughs> Indeed. So, yeah, we'll send a shout out to them too. And, um, you know, a particular bit of love to uh, parents who are both mom and dad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and particular love uh, to the moms who no longer have their ageless babies to hold. Mother's Days are Bittersweet. sometimes uh, painful. Well, very painful, can yes. be. So uh, just to let them know that. Uh, they're in our thoughts and we love all the moms. Indeed we do, <laughs> sir. Indeed we do. We do, we do. All right. With that, shall we get to the news, Mr. Grizzly? I think we shall, sir. All right. Let's do this then. Topic one, coast to coast to coast, COVID roundup. This week's first hot sticky mess is the fact the national COVID situation has not improved much since last week. The national seven-day active cases number remains between 50 and 60,000. Yukon and Prince Edward Island are the places to be with a combined total of seven active cases over the past week. Nunavut, the Northwest Territories, Newfoundland and Labrador, and New Brunswick are currently managing little flare-ups with 214 cases between them. The curves in British Columbia, Ontario, and Quebec appear to be on the downslope, though case levels are still high. However, if this trend continues, the national numbers will start looking much better over the next two weeks. In Saskatchewan, cases remain plateaued at high levels from 1,600 to 1,700 this week. But the big news is that the conservative premiers of Alberta and Manitoba, in that order, have finally heard the screams of their people and have at last stopped resisting mandating any form of stricter closures, restrictions for which medical professionals were calling a month ago. Yeah. However, they've not been in effect long enough yet, and thus, those provinces' numbers are still rising. Just under 14,000 of Canada's approximate 53,000 active cases are in Alberta. Manitoba accounts for just over 2,400 more. That's astonishing. Uh, when I know, you consider, right? you know, the population of Ontario is 14 million plus, and Alberta is 4 million, and their case count on a per capita basis is way beyond Ontario's. Yeah, Ontario's is about 
uh, 22,500 when I looked at the numbers last. That's, I mean, what took, what took Premier Kenny so long to do this? Is he waiting for everybody to die? Like, oh, just, it's a war uh, zone, man. It's a war zone. He, it's a war zone. It's, it, and considering that the shutdown just started yeah, and the communicability of the variants, those numbers are still going to be going up for a few days before they even start to crest, right? It's going to be. Mm. bad when you consider they had protests all over the province of alberta just the other day alberta save thyself yes indeed jeez and last but not least the testing backlog in nova scotia has revealed that the outbreak there was way more massive than expected the province has a population of just under a million and yet reported a seven-day active case number of nearly 1200 that's high numbers for uh, for the province Mind-blowing, considering is. Manitoba is about 1.4 million people. Yeah, and, and who do we have to blame for that again? Not Nova Scotians, people from Ontario who went to their cottage or to visit family or and decided to have a big barbecue, so let's have a super spreader event. Yeah, mm. we're, we're embarrassing the country. We're not helping each other out by doing this. Mm. If you were listening to this, please don't do that. This is the time to be a team player. Do not be that girl or that guy. Nobody likes that girl or that guy. Exactly. Just <sighs> Nova Scotia Premier Ian Rankin announced lockdown restrictions on April 28th and augmented them recently upon the discovery that the virus had spread like wildfire during the testing backlog. The rapid spread in Nova Scotia causes me to wonder whether the restrictions the premiers of Alberta and Manitoba needed their arms nearly twisted out of their sockets to put into place are tough enough to factor in the reality that COVID is spreading more easily in this wave than in previous ones. On the vaccine side, some good news. A study conducted in Israel shows that the Pfizer vaccine has a real-world efficacy of 96.5% at preventing illness and 98% at preventing hospitalization. A study in Qatar shows efficacy against both the UK and South African variants. Moreover, the Pfizer vaccine is the only one now approved for children 12 to 18 years of age. A clinical trial study of 2,000 children 12 to 15 showed 100% efficacy with zero children contracting COVID versus 18 children in the control group who did. This is important because while the elderly were most affected early on, accounting for 14,000 deaths over the course of the pandemic to date, 20% of diagnosed COVID cases in Canada are among children up to 18 years old. Topic two, making an informed vaccine choice. A lot of noise has been made in the media about the broadening of Canada's National Advisory Committee on Immunization, or NACI's, recommendation in order to factor in and reflect accumulated knowledge to date. As is often the case when reporting on evolving science, mainstream journalism drops the ball, thus making a hot, sticky mess of things. The update was presented to Canadians pre-framed as confusing from the get-go. Now for an eager beaver political literacy moment. Kids, it is important to understand here that while Health Canada is a big-budget government entity with a professional communications staff, the NACI is, quote, a national advisory committee of experts in the fields of pediatrics, infectious diseases, immunology, pharmacy, nursing, epidemiology, pharmacoeconomics, social science, and public health. NACI has been providing guidance on the use of vaccines currently or newly approved for use in Canada to the government of Canada since 1964. End quote. Since 1964, you say, Mr. Grizzly. That is indeed correct, Mr. Beaver, but that can't possibly be. If they'd been around that long, surely we would have heard of them before. Well, actually, no. You see... Given that NACI is an advisory panel, it was designed expressly to work behind the scenes to provide advice. It doesn't have an extensive communications budget, nor much experience of being upfront and center communications-wise. Now, that has been obvious in its choice of timing when making certain announcements and a seeming lack of coordination with the government of Canada. They should really work on that. But on the substance... NACI is doing its duty appropriately. It is reflecting the evolving data pretty much in real time. 
Now, if you remember a few months ago, Mr. Grizzly, the Nazi had warned about the blood clots. Yes, I do. I do recall. Mm -hmm. Also at a seeming inconvenient moment for the national rollout. But I mean, what else is Nazi going to do? Not inform about potential clots? (laughs) Yeah. That wouldn't have gone over well. So as Nazi is doing what it should be doing all along in its provision of advice, it has been thorough and consistent. There is no issue with Nasi. However, if the media believes the information Nasi has to offer can be presented with more clarity, well, it's up to the media to do that. Sure, it's always nice when an organization has that skill in-house. It makes the media's job easier. But sifting through information to succinctly present to citizens that which they need to know, specifically, is the media's job. This was an Eager Beaver political literacy moment. Now, given there are four vaccines approved for use in Canada, overall supply of vaccines is increasing, and we are gathering more real-world data from vaccine use, NASI has updated its recommendation. To boil it down to its essence, NASI is telling Canadians that it is still absolutely true that all Health Canada-approved vaccines are safe and highly effective, as mentioned in our previous topic, and thus you will be adequately protected regardless of which you receive. However, if you happen to be a Canadian who has the luxury of waiting, safely, of course, for one of the mRNA type of vaccines, if, say, for example, you happen to be in the demographic most affected by clotting and are concerned about it, or say you live in a neighborhood with lots of kids and wish to pass on the Pfizer as it's the only one currently approved for 12 to 18-year-olds, well, Nasi says you can make that informed and nuanced choice without much additional risk to yourself. So, if you're like Mr. Grizzly here, who in the spring must come out of his cave to gather food because he's got limited time before hibernation comes, or whether you're like me, sheltered at the lodge where the water is fine, with everything you need nearby, and more than happy to let those who need the shot more go first, you can now make a more informed choice. In good part because the Government of Canada's Procurement Minister Anita Anand has done a great job of securing a sufficient quantity of a broad inventory of vaccine and global production is now such that it will now be available to us. Nothing about this is wild, crazy, or confusing. It is the natural thing one expects would happen when there's a new hot product that is crazy in demand, and production finally starts to catch up to and even slightly outpace demand in certain areas. When you think of it, it's the same thing that happened with tickets to Hamilton. First, it was only on Broadway. Then, when a touring company comes to town, You got to be quick and lucky to get tickets for the initial run. But as the run gets extended and other touring companies form, eventually there will be a seat available for everyone who wants to see Hamilton, even empty ones for those who can't afford it. And now for an eager beaver media literacy moment. Kids, there's something I like to call, and the math geeks will get this right away, different variables, same constants. Remember back in the days, oh, so long, oh, so, 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 so very long ago, when science was still trying to confirm whether universal mask wearing would help? At first, we didn't know whether mask wearing would protect from being infected by others or make us more susceptible to infection. Then, data came in and it indicated masks would indeed help. Then more data came in to teach us we had been asking, as Dr. Isaac Bogosh pointed out, The wrong initial question. Will wearing a mask help to prevent me from getting COVID? When the question we should have been asking all along was, Will wearing a mask help prevent other people from being infected with COVID by me? And the answer to the latter question was a resounding, Yes! And so we switched it up policy-wise. Media does us a disservice by pre-framing stories as confusing, boring, or hard to understand. This often happens with stories about science, civics, finances, and the ins and outs of regulation, for example. Pre-framing these issues as such tells the audience, okay, folks, now you're going to have to do so much work just to be able to begin to understand. It's a turnoff. But the point here is that when a journalist gives you that pre-warning that the coming story is dry or technical or is going to make your eyes glaze over, That's a story to which you should be giving your full attention. The concept of, as time goes by, there'll be more to know, 
is not one that is confusing for most any human being. Evolving science is not a flip-flop. It just means that we are more informed, so we can bring more nuance, distinction, and discernment to our decision-making. Our media would serve as better if it spent more time breaking down that which led to advice evolving, rather than covering how people feel about having to constantly adapt to shifting recommendations a year and then some into a pandemic. Nobody likes it, but we do it anyway because we are adults. Our media can afford to trust its audience way more than it does. This was an Eager Beaver Media Literacy Moment. Hi, this is Mr. Grizzly. Telling you that, um, well, I don't have hands, I have paws and claws. But if I had hands, I'd be more than happy to wash them. And if a mask would fit over my giant snout, I'd be happy to wear it. But I live in the woods and climb trees for a living, and eat salmon on occasion. You don't do that, so please, wash your hands, wear a mask, and remember to stay two meters apart. And if two meters is complicated, that's about the length of two hockey sticks on average. We good? Topic three, Vance, Vance, Vance. For our next hot sticky mask hits, we turn to the twists, turns, and tumbles worthy of a telenovela in which finds itself the disgraced senior leadership of the Canadian Armed Forces. Evidence is all around that Operation Honor was a flop. The most telling pieces of evidence being that the effort to root sexual misconduct out of the military was disgustingly nicknamed Operation On Her within the ranks, and that it seems nearly impossible to promote up from within the ranks a single person without a baker's dozen of sordid skeletons in their closet. Clearly, the current reporting system isn't working as it should. As you may have heard, Highly respected former Supreme Court Justice Louise Arbour has been called up to complete a study focusing mainly on the design of such a system. But didn't we just do this? You ask? Close. A few years ago, another former Supreme Court Justice Marie Deschamps studied the issue which led to the report that led to Operation Honor. Such an external reporting system was recommended at the time, but clearly was not implemented. Madame Arbour will be acting especially on this, among other things. As a personal aside, Given the harassment reported in recent years by staff at Rideau Hall and staffers in MPs and senators' offices, there should be such an external reporting system for everything having to do with political parties and governments. I mean, since we're doing it. One thing that is markedly different with the Arbor Initiative, the Trudeau government has agreed to be bound by the recommendations of this upcoming report, so the military is on notice. Another thing, Madame Arbour's experience as Chief Prosecutor of the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda and the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia surely will come in handy when investigating a military outfit. As for the claim at the heart of the matter, that too is a sticky mess. General Vance was already the subject of a military probe, the nature of which was allegedly known to the Harper government of the day, yet they appointed him anyway the investigation being called off on the day of his appointment and officially ending four days later. Canadians are getting no answers from Conservatives as to how he was appointed in the first place, which is odd, because Conservative Party of Canada leader, allegedly, Aaron O'Toole just happened to be the Minister of Defence at the time. And so he could tell us. But you know, that Harpernesia, he barely can seem to recall being present for it. Recently, We found out, based on the claims of Major Kelly Brennan, that the former Chief of Defense Staff, Jonathan Vance, had a lengthy, inappropriate relationship with her. The new twist? He ordered Brennan to lie for him several times, and turns out he's also a deadbeat dad who fathered two children with her. Question? How old are the children? For how many years did Jonathan Vance force Kelly Brennan to lie, to keep their children hidden? We found out he thought of himself as untouchable, even by the minister. Others are wondering still, given Vance was the one who removed Admiral Norman from his position, and information that could have cleared Norman ages before was not released until the investigation into him was closed, whether perhaps Norman knew too much about Vance, which is why Norman had to go. And Vance perhaps had two hands in the pot that made sure he did? Finally, 
Word on the tweet is the general may have gotten around like the clap in the late 60s, that Major Kelly Brennan may not have been the general's one and only, second and allegedly only. And there may be more kids. It just seems that with each revelation, the ich and creep factor goes up a few more notches. I won't lie. I'm starting to wonder if it was a good thing Vance was found out before he morphed into the next Colonel Russell Williams. Well, the similar capacity to lead a completely compartmentalized double life for so long without slipping is to me particularly shudder and shiver inducing. Mm-hmm. Harper and the conservatives sure knew how to pick them, eh? <sighs> Trying to get to the bottom of this has been weird, with opposition parties voting along with the government to shut down committees and vote down certain motions. Heck, At one point, even the conservatives withdrew a motion they themselves intended to table. And we also found out at one point that Pierre Poiliev has known Major Kelly Brennan for five years, and they've often sometimes worked together on political initiatives. But here's where things really get weird. In their attempt to take down the liberals, the conservatives, still giddy from having taken Jerry Butts' hide, pun not intended, started going after the prime minister's chief of staff, Katie Telford. Now, why it is the conservatives thought that it would be a good look to try and take down a woman for this is beyond me, but try to take her down they did. Her alleged crime, a cover-up. Telford testified voluntarily that she had heard that there was an allegation of personal misconduct, which could be anything, of an identified nature against Vance, but that the alleged victim did not wish to identify, lodge a formal complaint, or provide consent to investigate. As there was no way to obtain further details, Telford did ask whether the alleged victim's safety was at risk, and was assured it wasn't. We have since learned that the violation was a suggestive email sent by Vance to the alleged victim, but that was not known at the time by the government. So, conservatives are trying to get Katie Telford cancelled for not telling the Prime Minister that some kind of allegation was made against the CDS but nobody is in physical danger and nobody is seeking redress. Are you freaking kidding me? One of the saddest parts of the whole ordeal was watching and hearing Esquimalt Saanich Suk MP Randall Garrison of the NDP win this week's first MPs Behaving Badly Award by attacking, rightfully, the Conservatives with, quote, Men always look for a woman to blame then immediately doing the NDP overreach thing to humiliate himself by claiming that the Liberals' decision to respect the alleged victim's lack of consent for further investigation was their attempt to blame a woman, the alleged victim, for the lack of an investigation and follow-up. What in the hell in the hoon, huh? Apparently, the NDP position no longer is that no means no, and that governments should override the will of individuals who raise harassment issues they wish to be addressed indirectly without seeking formal investigations. It is arguing that in this case, lack of consent should not only be ignored, but bulldozed over by the government. It was disgusting. It was deliberate, as he did it more than once. And the fact that once he tried to slip that attack line in as the panel discussion was ending made it all the more clear that this was his only purpose being on that panel. Hmm. My, 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 that party sure has fallen a long way down from the days of Honest Ed Broadbent. Oh, hell yeah. Topic four, Bill C-10 and free speech. Kit Joanne wrote in to ask us to address the hot, sticky mess that is the uproar surrounding Bill C-10. To be honest with you, broadcast law isn't my strong suit, so I admit up front that this will be a trickier issue for me to address with much authority. Sometimes it takes me longer to address certain topics, Kits, because I'm not well-versed enough in them to give a hot take that would add meaningful value. But on this subject, communications, public relations-wise, This particular issue is messy because you have staunch internet anti-regulation activists on one side who may be exploiting changes to every draft in an effort to sabotage the bill. And on another side, there is a partisan political machine hell-bent on portraying the PM as a socialist tyrant, and thus, this could be a variation on the power-grab theme of the earlier days of the pandemic or the Great Reset buzz of a few months ago. That makes it hard for me to tell if there is an issue at all. 
I can only suppose, based on the track records to date of the parties involved, that the trial of intent from the conservatives is BS, even though there could be a legitimate issue of unintended consequences resulting from improper or sloppy wording on which to keep a keen eye. This may simply be a matter of needing to make something super painfully obviously clear in the wording of the bill so that everybody is happy. That's the take I'm getting from Canadian Heritage Minister Stephen Gilbo's seeming exasperation with this being an issue at all, despite him not doing himself proud in question period the other day. More on that later. That's my best take at the moment. I do my best to be 100% on the facts. My opinions based on those facts may be full of it at times, (laughs) but I do make a point to put the effort in to be clear on basic facts and make the corrections when needed. That said, while you should always not just take my word for it and consult other sources, even some you normally wouldn't, on a regular basis just to see what else is out there, C10 is an issue on which this holds especially true. I just wanted to put full cards on the table where my limitations are concerned as a question of trust and transparency with you, kids. Okay, with all disclaimers offered, let's attempt a crack at this. Conservatives and rabid opponents to any form of social media regulation have been having a gleeful field day, fear-congering Canadians that the right to free speech, which is a misnomer because technically in Canada we have freedom of expression, but I digress, was about to be vaporized by the Liberals. On a recent episode of CBC's Power and Politics, Canadian Heritage Minister Stephen Gilbo was simply not having it, finding himself completely at a loss for a way to clearly explain how impossible was that which was suggesting the Conservatives. The Conservatives' seemingly manufactured scandal had as source the fact that a clause specifically mentioning the exclusion of individuals from the law in a previously proposed version of the bill had been removed. It was removed because it was superfluous and or redundant. Given Bill C-10 is called an act to amend the Broadcasting Act, this means its provisions apply to the CRTC, the Canadian Radio, Television and Telecommunications Commission, not individuals. Given the CRTC regulates only broadcasters, not individuals, there was no need to specifically exclude individuals because they were never invited to the party in the first place. Quote, The original version of C-10 dealt with social media in two ways. Section 2.1 provides that individuals who upload content on social media platforms, such as Facebook or TikTok, aren't considered broadcasters. This means you and I cannot be regulated by the CRTC. We've kept that clause. Section 4.1 excluded social media platforms from the category of broadcasters, based on the testimonies heard during the committee process we realized that that exclusion was too broad as it excluded platforms like YouTube when they act as music streamers. That's why we removed 4.1. But we also want to make sure that the content that people upload on social media won't be considered as programming under the Act, and that won't be regulated by the CRTC. And that's why we will be bringing forward another amendment that will make this crystal clear. Minister of Canadian Heritage, Stephen Gilbert. Unfortunately, the minister did himself no favors when responding to Lethbridge MP conservative and big-time anti-choicer Rachel Harder's reasonable inquiry about sending the text of the bill for a constitutional review. In a move that nets him our second MP's Behaving Badly Award, he made a scripted pivot to calling out MP Harder's hypocrisy on matters related to the Charter, such as freedom of expression, due to her stance on abortion. Now, while Harder is indeed a constitutional hypocrite, this was not the time, nor the place, nor the subject. Agreed. This wasn't even a half-decent opening for this attack. It was clunky, it was awkward, it was ham-fisted, it definitely was forced, and it was ugly. Yes. The immediate reaction was groans, and one female MP basically throwing her hands up and saying, Unbelievable. In my honest opinion, if there is a shuffle eventually, Gilbo is someone I would demote as not being an effective communicator. And now, for an eager beaver political literacy moment. This is a very shameful example of the Conservatives knowingly and intentionally preying upon Canadians' basic lack of civics knowledge. This is the exact same type of fraudulent trick that allows scammers to fleece grandma out of her pension money or of her vote by calling her up to growl at her that either the CRA wants money back 
now or else, or that Elections Canada has moved her polling station. If you don't know that either of these bodies would never call you, but always first communicate by mail, you can get taken. Aaron O'Toole knows, or (laughs) as aspiring PM at least should reasonably be expected to know, Mm -hmm. that the CRTC does not regulate individuals. Why it is he and his party seemingly are knowingly and intentionally lying to Canadians about that for which a proposed law will allow or forbid, strikes me as being against a political party's, at least one serious about aspiring to government, core mandate. Why it is they have chosen to lie this badly and incompetently, I mean, this one is just so easy to debunk. It's just... (sighs) Yeah, pretty much. This has been an eager beaver political literacy moment. It's like the conservatives look to their GQP cousins they keep stored in the basement, heard about their attempt to smear President Joe Biden with a literal nothing burger and decided, Hey, we need to get ourselves a quarter pounder of that. Yuck, 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 yuck. Christ on a bike, Mary. And then the conservative porta potty, see what I did there, of Canada dug deep down low to offer us performative Star Wars, hello, copyright infringement, made the fourth themed memes in which Aaron O'Stool whined to R2D2 about C10 already not allowing him to share tales of his intergalactic adventures, and another in which the liberal Death Star vaporizes approaching free speech with a blast of C10. <sighs> really? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, file under. Didn't think this through, did ya? Looks like dude traveled through some freaking wormhole on that adventure because since his return, he believes he's living in a reality in which this bill is already law. <laughs> I mean, right now when I'm hearing intergalactic adventures, I'm smiling politely, but inside I'm thinking, dude, just how many drugs are you on? Like all at once. And let's not go down the rabbit hole of asking whether his intergalactic adventures broke COVID travel rules. We still don't know where he went, this, where he spent the Christmas holidays. Yeah, yeah. They had lovely tans at New Year's <laughs> Eve, didn't they? Yes, by, gained by the roar of the electric fireplace. <laughs> oh, my God. But here's a political pro tip for you, Aaron. Perhaps spend more time here on Earth. Because the gamma rays kind of screwed with your sense of what's appropriate. People are still dying, you know. I mean, I'm making jokes here, kids. But there's a serious underlying message here. A party more focused on owning the libs, amusing itself, and finding itself clever, that's my job, than it is in being a team player for you during a pandemic, is a party from which the bottom needs to fall out. So it can go. Wait for it. Retool. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And since I'm on a roll, how about a parting shot? Hey, Aaron. You like clever Star Wars and porta potty humor? Here's one for you. When next you need to pop a squat, may you need to fourth and fourth and fourth before it be with you. We'll be back after this break. Hello, kids. It's Mr. Grizzly, your friendly neighborhood grizzly bear, who's asking you how much you like this program. And I'm asking you if, well, you like this show, you like what you hear, and we're happy to do this for you, if you'd be willing to, you know, throw us a couple of bucks as a tip. And the reason we do this, the reason we ask this question is because there are some production costs involved. We're happy to give this to you, but, you know, feel free to send us a couple of dollars over uh, coffee.com. And now, the website is ko dash fi.com backslash eager beaver dollar two dollars fifty cents whatever whatever you can spare it helps us with our production costs mr beaver that's right mr grizzly the amount that we have recommended on the coffee site is three dollars but it can indeed be anything that you want uh Buy Mr. Grizzly a cup of coffee or me a cup of hot chocolate because after all you are what you drink We want you to know that we will be using these tips in part to invest in improving the quality of the show for you. We are looking to get better equipment, better sound, perhaps at a later date, correspondence, a web presence, maybe even filming for YouTube. 
The possibilities are endless. The show will grow with your support and encouragement, and your support and encouragement is always profoundly appreciated. If you would like to leave us a tip, again, the web address is coffee.com backslash eagerbeaver. That's K-O hyphen F-I dot com backslash eagerbeaver. Thank you again. And welcome back, kids. It's time for the interview portion of today's show. And Mr. Grizzly, if we are talking about improving political literacy, being actively engaged in our democracy, and elevating the level of debate, it would be hard for us to do better. Let's see if our listeners can guess who he is. All right? Sure. Let's go for it. Okay. Clue one. This week's interview guest is a political theorist with an interest in democratic deliberation and citizenship who received his PhD from the Department of Political Science at the University of British Columbia. Clue two. A self-described writer, academic, and public intellectual, he started making headlines in 2014 following an appearance on the CBC radio show Ideas from the Trenches, during which he argued that modern democracy has a fatal flaw. We've overestimated our own intelligence. Yes, we have. Oh, yeah. (laughs) See why we have them? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Clue three. He is a contributing columnist for the Washington Post, the host of the podcast Open to Debate, and the author of Too Dumb for Democracy, Why We Make Bad Political Decisions and How We Can Make Better Ones. Clue four. He recently caused quite a stir when his opinion piece entitled Doug Ford Must Resign appeared in the Washington Post. Ladies and kits, gentle kits, this week's guest is the very impressive David Moscrop. Welcome, David. Hello. I thought you were going to say Frank Stallone. (laughs) (laughs) It was a perfect setup, and I, I I just stayed quiet the whole time and had to restrain myself from jumping in and stealing Norm MacDonald's bit from the 90s. So we're off to a, just a great start. <laughs> oh, Frank Stallone, he took a wrong turn, but man, I love those two songs from Staying Alive. <laughs> Terrible movie. Bless man, his heart, yeah. If you want to like sweat it out, it's like it's, it was like the like Maniac Part 2. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's a shame it was such a terrible film because it could have been a good sequel to what originally was a very good film, yes. Saturday Night Fever. But that's off topic. The Rambo is the same case. You know, the, I went recent. I, I watched the Rambo movies a couple of years ago. I was living in British Columbia, and and you know, me and my partner at the time were going to go to Hope where they filmed it. Mm-hmm. So we watched Rambo in anticipation of that, and I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. And it, the first Rambo was genuinely quite a good movie. Yes. And mm-hmm. then the wheels fall off the series. Yes. <laughs> but the first one's genuinely quite good. And in fun fact, the second one, I think is the second one, was dedicated to the Mujahideen. Yes. Yes, it was. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. How ironic oh. that came back to a little bit of so, blowback on that one. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think I don't think I noticed that one was eleven. Yeah. Well I just <laughs> I just rewatched First Blood again the other day because it uh, all three of the first Rambo films are on uh, on the Netflix right now. So yeah, I just rewatched First Blood uh, a couple of nights ago. And you know what? It it's very dated. Uh I enjoyed it because it was it was the best film out of all of them, but mm-hmm. it's very dated and the um, when you watch it, the fight sequences look very staged. <laughs> there's no, there's nothing authentic looking about them, unlike you know some more modern films. No, they, that's true. And I, you know, I think I saw a tweet that uh, Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson has been spending his time during the lockdown rewatching the Rambo's. I'm almost yeah. certain that's. The I case. did see that tweet. Did actually. you see that? Yes, I did. So we're in we're in good company, I guess. <laughs> Big Jim. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, um, David, to get into it, uh, you've done something super interesting. Uh, you've given a TED Talk. Yeah, it was a, a TEDx in Calgary a couple of years ago, which I am unable to watch. Why is that? <laughs> well, I genuinely don't like watching or listening to stuff that I've done, and I, I should because it's how you get better. But I I can't usually, and I saw a bit of it once, 
and was mortified because I, I realized that I was a combination of of exhausted, not as prepared as I would have liked to be, which is unusual for me, and uh, suffering from just one of the worst bouts of allergies I've ever had. And so I look like I'm high on <laughs> I something. I was wondering about that. And I, I was, I, I, it, there's nothing I can do. It's just there. It'll always be there. And it happens to me occasionally. And so there's a few cases where if you look stuff up, I'm like that. And then most of them where I'm not. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, occasionally someone will say like, were you on something? And I was always like, well, I should have been. <laughs> no, I was just tired and stressed and like just trying to get through the day from an awful bout of, of allergies that just were, that I couldn't possibly control. So I have, have not seen that. And I don't think I'll ever watch it ever again. I, I can empathize. Well, with the, with well, the allergies. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I was researching, I did. Uh, yes. <laughs> so yeah, I was I was wondering. If yeah, were, I know. If well, and everyone's allergies. too. You know, people, nice people are too polite to ask, and and I wish people would, because then I could say no, but <laughs> I'm just sort of stuck with it, and I I don't know. I guess you know it's funny. I this is not by way of comparison. This is just by way of of sort of. Uh, general interest. Uh, I, I watched the Hemingway documentary, the PBS Ken Burns doc, mm-hmm. recently. I picked it up on a platforming stream and, and decided to watch it through. And he was notoriously just terrified of public speaking. And if you look, you know, towards the end of his career when he was giving a speech for the acceptance of, I think, the Pulitzer, or, or some no, it was an interview about his acceptance of the Pulitzer. He was reading off of cue cards, mm-hmm. and he was he would read the punctuation that was written <laughs> on the cue cards. <laughs> now he had also suffered several like concussions, not to mm-hmm. not, like genuinely he was he had had some serious traumatic brain injuries as well. But he was so nervous that he, you could just see him trying to get through the cue card. He couldn't. He would just sort of read the punctuation, wow. and I sort of felt like I get that. You know, when you're just. <laughs> trying to get through the moment you end up doing some strange things and what what bothers me the most is that most of the time i'm not like that and to see that is just well well yeah, how was the I talk think... though was the talk part good yeah well, actually that's, it was. that's exactly it was where good. i was going with that right and uh, and it and it is absolutely true because i saw your interview uh on cpac uh in, in 2019 and you know, I mean, if, if people saw that one first, they would go like, where is this guy? Why is he on every network, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you were so super weird. engaging. But but yes, the thing was, the message, despite all of that, you know, it, just, it really wasn't that bad. Um, the message really, really came through. And you mentioned, uh, there was something, you quoted uh, Dan Levitson and saying that, uh, uh, Americans uh, took in about five times as much information in 2011 as they did back in 1986. And we're in 2021 right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and earlier in our episode, we were talking about uh, more information coming in as you know, it pertains, for example, to the, the science for COVID, for example, you know, uh, with masks. As we learned more about masks, the directives changed, and some people uh, in the media uh, decided to portray that as confusing uh, and flip-flopping rather than, well, we just know more. Mm-hmm. Well, that's science, um, right? It's not static. It's, it's always in flux. You learn more, yeah. you adapt. Yeah, and we're having the same issue right now with uh, NASI uh, when they give us more information for more nuance. Uh, for example, you know, we have an we have an array of vaccines now and we have them in sufficient quantities now that if for example you are concerned about the clotting effect with astrazeneca or the johnson and johnson and you have the luxury of being at home and waiting safely well you can wait for a pfizer or moderna and again this is being portrayed sometimes as being confusing or a flip-flop or a contradiction and i don't think this is helpful and i was wondering if you could speak to that in some way well, I think it is confusing, although I don't think it's a flip-flop. I think it is, as, as we just heard, it is an evolution. We're also seeing that on, on the transmissibility, our understanding of the transmissibility vectors, you know, for instance, with COVID being airborne, 
right? There's a big debate. And, and finally, it looks like it's being resolved in, in favor of it being airborne. And the WHO is catching up. But there's a lot. I just read a long New York Times piece about that today where they were saying, well, why were we so hesitant to accept that it was airborne? It wasn't just droplets. Yeah, it was aerosol. And it was, well, a bunch of different things. Yeah. Uh, uncertainty, people who are sort of entrenched. Uh, sort of resistance to admitting that we were doing COVID theater, uh, yet we were doing the wrong, we were spraying down surfaces, you know, sandblasting our groceries, quarantining our mm-hmm. mail. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm thinking of any, me in particular, <laughs> to talk <laughs> about that stuff. But the, the fact is we were processing something new, something complicated, something deadly in real time. It affected almost every aspect of our lives. Mm-hmm. And we were doing the best we had with what we had. Mm-hmm. And it was going, it was always going to change. And ditto the policy programming around it, right? We kept hearing start, you know, the perfect shouldn't be the enemy of the good, uh, speed trumps perfection, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, that was always going to be the case. And it's very, very hard for us to keep up with that. It's hard for us to adapt. It's hard to, for us to accept new realities, especially when we're scared or tired. Mm-hmm. And we were all both of those things, probably mm-hmm. for the most part. And, and public messaging wasn't always very good. And the, you know, the NACI messaging on the disastrous day, not so long ago when they were having a press conference and later had a, an official out who said that you know, she couldn't live with herself. Uh, it, what was it? If her sister got ill or something like that, mm-hmm. had a blood clot or something mm-hmm. from it. Uh, I, I don't remember the exact line. I don't want to misquote, but you can look it up. It was on, I think, CTV. And people started saying, well, it's, it's contradicting the federal message, which is the best vaccine is the first one you're offered. And, of course, the, the prime minister came up soon later and repeated that message. If you're a citizen trying to navigate this space, you've got two heuristics, two decision-making shortcuts, the NACI, the experts, and the prime minister. And now those are at war in your head. What do you do? Right. Because so much of our decision making is based on heuristics. And when they conflict, it creates some trouble for us. Mm-hmm. Now, could you give us, a, for our listeners who might not know it, what a brief definition of heuristics may be? Yes, absolutely. So, uh, it, it, in short, it's a mental shortcut. And okay. what that basically is, is in a world in which you've got to make a bunch of complicated decisions all the time, we adopt rules or shortcuts or proxies to make those decisions. And those could include. You pick the simplest thing. You pick the first thing you hear. You listen to your family. You listen to your friends. You listen to your doctor. You listen to the prime minister. You listen to your political party. There's all kinds of different mental shortcuts that we take to make decisions. Some of them are good and serve us well. Some of them are not so good and serve us poorly. And there's lots in between. And so COVID has been a great example of that because basically we've had to navigate the last 14 months or so based on these, these heuristics. Because the vast majority of us had no expertise in the in the relevant fields. Mm. But the thing is, uh, what I'm on my perspective is what I'm wondering is why do these two heuristics necessarily have to be in opposition when they can be completely weaved into a, a narrative that makes sense? All the vaccines that we have are definitely of a sufficiently good quality. The first one you take is probably the best one for you. But if you do have the luxury of waiting safely, oops. Hold on, there it is. There's there's time for a commercial break. (laughs) And we'll be back. Yeah, kids, that doorbell sure got in the way. Uh, You may have noticed the difference in sound quality. Um, We've had some improvements here at uh, the Beaver Lodge. We have a a brand new mic and a nice mixing board. Uh, So that that interview was recorded a little earlier in the week. And remember, kids, to check out our extended interview with David, Parts one and parts two are already up on our Spotify site at Apple or at Google. Look for the True North Eager Beaver as a podcast. We'll be back right after this. Hey, Mr. Grizzly. Hey, Mr. Beaver. How you doing? I'm doing really well. I got something interesting in the mail this week. What's that? I got a book. Miss V and the Letterous Lawyer. Oh, hey. You know what? I got the same thing, too. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, apparently the Misfy Mysteries is an LGBTQ cozy mystery series written by Delilah Knight. Cool. Misfy is 
60, trans and classy sassy and a bit smart assy. From her kitchen heels to her chic bob, Miss V is a lady through and through. When her late aunt's lawyer is found murdered and clutching V's favorite Chanel jacket, she is immediately arrested. Can she find the real killer before the local law puts her away for good? Will she be forced to trade 50s rock and roll for jailhouse blues? Do prisons even have a happy hour? Not that I'm aware of. Oh my god, how awful would that be? That would be tragic. Tragic, totally tragic. Miss V and the Lettuce Lawyer is the first book in a humorous, cozy mystery series from By Ace author Delilah Knight. On sale now wherever ebooks are sold. Paperback copies are also available, or call your local library and ask them to get it in. Signed copies available at www.corvidmoonpublishing.com. That's www.corvidmoonpublishing, all in one word, dot com. The Miss V Mysteries. You need to be reading this. And we're back. At this point in the show, Mr. Grizzly and I would like to offer our gratitude to the kids out there who have liked what we do and have kindly tipped us so that we may keep going. Our thanks go to kids Andy, Nikki, Norman, Maria, and Linda for your generous support and encouragement. As you may have noticed, the sound quality on my end has improved since the first show, in part because Mr. Grizzly was able to send me a very good quality microphone and snazzy swinging stand and a small USB mixing board. And this is exciting, Mr. Grizzly. We have our first listener feedback. Outstanding. Yeah, we love listener feedback. <sighs> our quick piece motivated by the heartbreaking death of Emily Victoria Viegas prompted Kit Linda to say, That was bloody brilliant. Exasperating, frustrating, and maddening, but well done. And to Kit Danny to write, You nailed it. Thank you. And in response to our first episode, Kit Norman wrote, I've been enjoying your podcasts. What a great initiative. Since you have invited gentle criticisms, here's mine. If you would avoid using trashy language, i.e. effing this, effing that, what the F, you are an intelligent analyst, not a shock jock. And the more genteel of us among your listeners, great at such vulgarity. It does nothing to raise your credibility. It usually suggests inarticulacy. The word, well, the F word, used correctly refers to a sexual act and is misplaced as an expletive. Kit Norman, um, usually I tend to be very genteel in my everyday life. <laughs> I'm not uh, the type of person that actually uh, does that type of thing too much, but something with politics, I don't know what it is. Uh, I was commenting to friends about that lately too. Uh, I don't know. It's when people start screwing with my democracy or mistreating my fellow Canadians, there's something about my sense of injustice that just goes off and, uh, you know, uh, and some of them slip out. Um, now, I will admit that part of this was a conscious style decision on our part for the show. Uh, we wanted to bring a more conversational tone. We wanted to bring people in uh, as if they were friends, you know, give some authenticity, have a less uh, traditional news presentational format and be more intimate, like we were friends, you know, hanging out. Uh, and friends, you know, when they're hanging out and sharing their feelings about stuff, well, you know, they'll often you know, drop a few uh, colorful epithets, let's say. Uh, but, but you are right. Uh, we are not trying to be shock jocks. Uh, our goal is more towards political and media literacy. And, uh, you know, uh, while uh, in the first episodes, uh, I was writing a few of them in as I was writing and feeling, uh, feeling them. Uh, I, uh, based on your comment, I will stop doing that. Um, if they happen to flow naturally, um, I'm only human, but I will make a best effort. Um, particularly with the F-bombs, I may have trouble with words like bullshit or shit show or douchebag or anything like that. Uh, but we will try to keep it in check. I'd like to note that as it pertains to our interviews, though, however, as we try to create a space that is uh, that allows for our guests to be as authentic and as real as possible, uh, we leave that space open to them. But you are absolutely right. We will definitely uh, uh, make a big effort to watch our potty mouth. <laughs> right, Mr. Grizzly? <laughs> that shouldn't be a problem for me. Um, now you're pretty good. <laughs> well, my mother listens to this, so... Mm. Yes, she would not be happy with me for using uh, vulgar language, so I, I'll refrain from doing that. Mm. 
So, uh, Mr. Grizzly's mom, I'm very, 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 very sorry. <laughs> I will, I will try okay. my best to be a good boy. Um, so, uh, thank you everybody for this great feedback. We appreciate it. Uh, if you have a comment, a constructive criticism, something you'd like us to talk about on the show, uh, or uh, news about something good that uh, happened to you or uh, something good in which you're involved, we want to know. So uh, write to us at our True North Eager Beaver page on Facebook or by tweeting us at True Eager on Twitter. And we would be overjoyed to hear from you. Regularly, we like to take a quick look at stories that didn't make us want to gouge our eyes out with knitting needles. We gather stories about cool or quirky things, about moments of finger-licking good karma, good things happening to good people, and yes, that includes you too, or Canadians having done something to make us proud. And we present them to you in a segment we like to call, Okay, Now This Is Just Cool. And today's Okay Now This Is Just Cool has plenty for sports fans to celebrate. File under four Canadians who make us proud. Canadian number one. An eager beaver shout-out goes to Canadian Ben Proudfoot, who, along with co-director Chris Bowers, was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary Short Subject for their film, A Concerto is a Conversation. Matthew Carey, in a March 5th Deadline.com article, says, quote, A Concerto is a Conversation offers a view of African-American life over the course of almost a century, with a focus on black success. End quote. Based on exchanges about personal and family history between Bowers and his grandfather. Unfortunately, the film did not take home the prize. That went to Colette, a film about former French resistance member Colette Marine Catherine, as she travels to Germany for the first time in 74 years to visit the Middle Baldora concentration camp, where her brother died at the hands of the Nazis, according to Wikipedia. Fun fact. Colette also happens to be the first film produced by a video game studio to win or be nominated for an Academy Award. If you'd like to watch it, the 13-minute film is available on our podcasts at True Eager Twitter account and on the True North Eager Beaver blog page on Facebook. Canadians numbers two and three. Canadian golfers have been tearing it up of late. First, Brooke Henderson became the winningest golfer, male or female, in Canadian history, taking home her 10th LPGA Tour title at the Huge L Air Premier LA Open. She leads Canadian golfers Sandra Post, George Knudsen, and Mike Weir, who had eight at the time. Well, wouldn't you know it, soon after 2003 Masters champion Mike Weir closed that gap, winning his ninth title and first since 2007, bringing him within one of Miss Henderson. He ended the near 14-year drought by defeating the legendary John Daly to take the Inspirity Invitational. Weir is having an impressive comeback run, having scored at least one fourth place and two second place finishes over the past year to go along with this win. The San Jose Sharks number 12, Patrick Marlowe, recently made history by surpassing the great Gordie Howe's record for NHL games played. The 41-year-old Marlowe suited up for the 1,768th time on Monday, April 19th to become the NHL's Ironman in a match against the Vegas Golden Knights. It's something that I'm pretty proud of, me being from Saskatchewan and Gordy being from Saskatchewan. It's a pretty cool connection. Part of the message that Mark gave to me yesterday was that it's kind of fitting that I'm from Saskatchewan and that Gordy would be very proud of me breaking the record tonight, being a small-town farm boy from Saskatchewan. Marlowe was the second overall pick in the 1997 NHL draft by San Jose. He has since racked up 566 goals and 630 assists. Marlowe also helped Canada win gold at the 2010 and 2014 Olympics. A note for the purists, Howe also played 419 games in the World Hockey Association, which didn't count toward his NHL record. Unfortunately for Marlowe and the Sharks, the result was a 3-2 loss. According to the CBC, the Chicago According to the CBC, the Chicago Cubs will erect a statue of Ferguson Fergie Jenkins outside Wrigley Field to honor the Canadian pitcher. Jenkins, now 78, was the first Canadian elected into the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York in 1991. He will be the fifth person honored with a statue by the Cubs, along with Ernie Banks, Ron Santo, and Billy Williams, as well as broadcaster Harry Carey. Jenkins was a member of the Cubs for parts of 10 seasons from 1966 to 73 and 1982-83. to 
Jenkins is the club's career leader in starts with 347 and strikeouts with 2038. During his career, he was named to three All-Star teams while winning the 1971 National League Cy Young Award. His number 31 jersey was retired by the Cubs. I don't think an athlete ever thinks about this happening to them. Jenkins said of the tribute, It's happened in my lifetime, and I'm really happy. Jenkins said he found out of the Cubs' plans in late March when the club chairman sought his permission to build a statue. I said, you don't need permission. I was real surprised. Everybody's been mentioning over the years, you should have a statue. Like anything, you've got to wait your turn. The Cubs will unveil the statue on opening day 2022. And that's the cool news. Well, kids, that's the end of this episode of the Eager Beaver podcast. We apologize for the tardiness in getting this episode to you because life threw us a couple of curveballs and we had a couple of technical issues. We hope you had as good time listening to us, though, as we put in this, had putting this together for you because we had a blast. We welcome feedback in the form of compliments, bribes to be on the show, constructive criticisms, gentle corrections, if we got anything factually incorrect, happy stories of things that have happened to you or your dear ones, or participation in our listeners challenge. We want to see your spring has sprung pictures. You can do all of that on our Facebook blog page, The True North Eager Beaver, or on Twitter by writing us at True Eager. If you really like this podcast, you can find us on Google, Spotify, Apple, and Mixcloud. So tell your friends. And finally, if you really, really, really like this podcast and wish to encourage us to do more, we work for tips. Please feel free to buy a cup of coffee for Mr. Grizzly here or a mug of hot chocolate for me via our coffee page at coffee.com backslash eager beaver. That's ko-fi.com backslash eager beaver. ko-fi.com backslash eager beaver. Mr. Grizzly, do you have uh, a good word to send our kids out for their day? Well, take care of yourselves, be kind to one another, and uh, if you need somebody to talk to, we're always here to listen. We're happy to help. That's absolutely right. From the Beaver Lodge, this is your eager beaver saying, until next time, dear kids, it can be a tough world out there. So be kind too and gentle with yourself. The True North Eager Beaver podcast is an Eager Beaver, Mr. Grizzly collaboration. Copy written by the Eager Beaver. Recording, production, and editing by Mr. Grizzly. Music courtesy of Ben Sound Royalty Free Music. Once again, Thank you to our founding sponsors, The Pepper Master, The Miss V Mysteries from Corvid Moon Publishing, and CanadianTarot.com. And thank you to the very impressive David Mosscrop for agreeing to be our guest this week. I have a feeling we'll be hearing from him again. Be sure to look for the extended in-depth version of the interview already posted wherever you can find good podcasts. See you soon. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.